Here we go again. Today is just going to be Cam and I. Yes, sir. Back to the, back to the grind. Back to the original. We appreciate Jared and Chris. Not killing each other last time that they were here, but we're back doing our thing. So let me kind of, well, we talked about it. We decided to hit upon it. Let me clarify a little bit from one of our last episodes. You can call it a mistake. I'll own it, especially for our our gun enthusiasts. <laughs> so when we're talking in the Uvalde incident, and we're doing a follow-up on that today, but I mentioned something that the national media loves saying, assault rifle. And hopefully everyone knew that I, what I was talking about because when you turn on the news, that's exactly what you're going to hear. You're going to hear the word assault rifle. But that is not what it is. And in fact, it's, it stands for Armalite rifle. And so when people hear assault rifle, that's what they associate. They hear AR-15 and they think it stands for assault rifle. That is inaccurate. And so hopefully every listener... Please forgive me, especially the gun enthusiasts. Um, I'm very aware that it doesn't stand for assault rifle, but for the majority of people that listen, uh, I think I think they knew what I was talking about, right? Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah, let's, let's hope. Let's hope. Anyway, it is not an assault rifle, so I'll own that, and we'll correct that. But if I call it an assault rifle, please understand that's coming from mainstream media. And for those of you who don't care... There are some people that get very upset yeah. over that. Yeah. Just and like calling a magazine a clip. Ooh, <laughs> stand Ooh. by. Ooh. Military and law enforcement alike. I mean, there, there's pet peeves out there. Please, we have a, a wide variety of listeners. I mean, we have all walks of life, but we do have law enforcement and military listeners. And I, I would much rather not get slayed again for those that it upset. So let me, let me just lay that on the line. But we've got some news to hit immediately before we jump into the follow-up. We promised you guys that we would do a lot of research. We had to give it some time. I know that we've been away for a minute. But please understand, we've done as much research as what we possibly can in terms of new information that's come out with the Uvalde City. Uh, situation. Um, we were adamant that we were going to hold off reserve judgment. More information has come out. We're going to be very transparent with that. And we'll talk about the information that has not come out yet as well. But let me jump into something that's coming out of Portland. Cam, you and I just talked about this. You can imagine putting this in our back pocket. So little update. This came from Police One in this news article, and it talks about a new hiring bonus that the city of Portland is throwing out there. This is weird. This is weird. Like, I don't know that anybody could have anticipated that a bonus would be necessary to bring cops back to the city Yeah. with the mass exodus that occurred. Um, or, or maybe not even mass exodus, maybe, 
Maybe citizens ran them out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Hiring bonuses are coming to the Portland Police Bureau. Again, this is reported by Police One. As the city faces record low staffing levels. Record low. And the cash isn't just for cops. Portland will also be offering hiring bonuses to its new division of um, unarmed public safety support specialists, or what they call PS3s. On Wednesday, the Portland City Council approved $500,000 in funding to offer $25,000 hiring bonuses to qualified lateral officers. I'm just going to throw it. Look, if anybody out there is listening and you're thinking about leaving your agency, I guess you could pick the city of Portland. I guess I... Am I, am I being too tough? Am I laying it on too thick uh, of what I feel about that city in the... It's not about the agency, the department, but the city I'm a little upset with. But so 500000 for, for... Break it down again? 500000 So they approved 500000 in funding to offer $25,000 hiring bonuses. That doesn't sound like it equates to a lot of officers. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was going to say, that's only 20 officers. I, well, maybe they're anticipating. So if they're looking for 20 lateral, qualified lateral guys, yeah, right? Um, I would imagine that they're, they're going to say, we, we will pick the lateral officers up to the amount that is going to equal the $500,000. And then maybe just go for the academy newbies on the street. I don't. I don't know. Well, and offering offering bonuses to laterals is nothing new. Our agency's been doing it for a couple of years as well. But twenty five thousand. Twenty. Yeah, we're nowhere close to that. Twenty five. And I'm wondering if there's you know some stipulation on to get the twenty five thousand. You probably have to hit quite a few boxes check, or maybe they just yeah. need a body at this point because I've been seeing some videos over there. And <laughs> they need some so, help. It, well. Yeah. Like I said, I don't want to lay it on too thick. I think I've, I've made my point as to my personal feelings, but $25,000, you do have to stay with the agency at least five years, according to the article. And I, I guess that's one of the stipulations. But, I mean, o- otherwise, the city could go after the bonus that they gave you. Yeah. But, and so, again, that's only for the lateral officers it is up to three to five thousand dollars for the specialists so but again if that's part of the five hundred thousand that was approved maybe this is a multi-year thing maybe it's five hundred thousand every year i don't know i mean usually they only approve that year in and year out they don't do something for the following year and the year after anyway so that's news out of portland any of our listeners are looking to, I don't know, maybe they're Trailblazer fans. I, I can't say. They won't, they won't be the only ones, though. Chicago recently did one uh, about six months ago, give money back to some of their officers because their retention is struggling. New York is going to have to start addressing this. Minneapolis, all these places that have kind of given the, the loud crowd of the 2020 era the – BLM-ish issues, gave them what they wanted on, you know, cracking down on police funding and stuff, but doing it. They sure did. Yeah. They sure did in there. Kind of dealing with the repercussions of that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, good for the city to recognize, but unfortunately now you put yourself into a kind of a monetary loss and they're just going to have to live with that. Well, let's jump into it. Let's do it again. All right, I'm going to throw this out here at the beginning because we will talk about all the information that has come out. We're going to give our opinions on it. We're going to give our expertise on it. But please understand that there is still a lot of information that we don't know, and we'll explain why. But let's jump right into it. We promise to follow up on Uvalde. For those that haven't been keeping up with it, let's kind of jump in. And Cam, you jump in anytime that you want. But if we're looking back at the previous episode that we had, we kind of gave a, a timeline of the event itself, as was outlined by Texas officials responding law enforcement, both local and federal agencies. Um, it was a 77-minute event, so to speak, uh, that has been confirmed and everything that I think that everyone has picked up on that is, is going to be clear as crystal. But one of the, well, recent news, if you, if you go to the chief of police that we were talking about, um, he was actually going to be elected into city council. I don't know what that meant for being the chief of police for the Valde School District. I, I really don't know how they work with that, whether he was going to give that up. But uh, that is no longer going to happen. And so the scrutiny was very heavy. We mentioned that uh, we felt that he owed it to the public to make appearances. I don't know what PR specialist he's been talking with, but obviously he's gone ghost. And we don't have much information. We do have a few interviews, but specifically one of the things that came to light after our last episode was the fact that he got on scene and ended up leaving both of his radios. And when asked why he didn't have a radio when he responded toward the school, he said he didn't want it to slow him down. You hear that same thing, Cam? Did you hear about that? I mean, let's start with that because here's, here's an important tidbit of, of details for any law enforcement officer responding to anything. You need to be ready, and you cannot be ready without your equipment. And if you don't have your equipment, how can you possibly obtain all the information that you need, especially radio? Radio traffic is key because you're not going to be around every single officer on scene. You're going to have people spread out. You're going to have people, uh, different teams, immediate action teams, whatever the case may be. There were officers on scene prior to this chief arriving. And if you don't have your radios, and especially two radios that you decided to leave behind, and then you gave an excuse and said, I didn't want it to slow me down, you already slowed yourself down. You already put yourself into a situation. How are you as the incident commander? Because once the chief comes on scene, he can designate it to somebody else. But ultimately, everyone's going to be looking at the chief and saying, your call. Yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to break down with this, this chief. Um, what do you mean by that? Does that mean your car is unkept so you can't find your radio and you don't want it to slow you down? Because we know weight-wise... If a radio is slowing down, that's a that's an issue. That's an issue. 
Um, so it's got to be something like you're not organized, you're not ready for it, whatever the, the situation might be. But, yeah, communication um, in law enforcement day in, day out is super important. But in a, a rapidly dissolving situation, a tactical issue, um, communication is is a must. Uh, you go to the the best of the military communication, albeit they use a lot of nonverbal communication, but they train it all the time. And we recently went through active shooter and, and if you don't practice it, it doesn't work. So you have to have ways that you're going to communicate. So for us, most of the time, it is going to be with your radio. You might have some SWAT teams that have worked together for uh, a long period of time that they can do some nonverbal stuff, but even them, they have to communicate with the patrol officers and all that stuff. They need to know uh, what the intel is coming in from dispatch, all that stuff. A radio is a must. It's a must. Now, a lot of people, especially who have been following it, and if you listen to our last episode, you're going to wonder, well, hold on a sec. Isn't that same chief the one that made the call? hey, this is no longer an active shooter, and it's turned into a barricaded situation. At what point did he obtain that information? Was it by radio, or did he make his way back to his radios? I mean, obviously, we have a, a very slow, it was a dynamic, emergency, emergent situation, slowed down, unfortunately, by law enforcement. So at what point did this chief obtain that information and say, do not act. Everybody that's coming on scene, hold back. We're no longer in an active shooter situation, which we, we hit upon last episode, and we disagree with that. There were already people dead. There were already shots fired. You have to act. You, you have to get in there. Yep. And so there's a lot of things, and, and let, me, let me hit upon this before we go any further. Because I think this is important for all the listeners and for anyone that's doing research and following this. So usually when media is looking for information um, and to obtain information from any given incident, it comes by multiple ways. It's 911 calls. Um body cameras, uh, free given information from the police department or every agency that's involved. There's a lot of different ways that media comes up with the information that they obtain to put out to the public. I'm going to give this as a a kind of a heads up. Here's why we don't have a complete breakdown of Uvalde even today. There's actually a loophole, and they call it the dead suspect loophole within Texas, And basically what that is, is when the suspect is dead and and cannot be put on trial, there was a law put into place to protect the accused. Well, in this incident, it's basically been turned on its head because now we have something that really has the right to get out to the general public and answers need to be... um, We need answers for all the questions that we have, Mm -hmm. law enforcement and citizens alike. And there's a pushback currently with attorneys with the Uvalde School District and and other agencies that were involved that is preventing media and others 
to obtaining body cam footage, surveillance within the school, uh, because of this loophole. And so there's a lot of pushback. They, they keep pushing, hey, release it, release it, release it. There's a lot of pushback. They're not getting it. Unfortunately, what previously was put into effect to protect the accused, they weren't able to defend themselves. Uh, Texas didn't want the accused to be falsely accused. Mm. And they weren't able to defend themselves. But this has completely been turned upside down. And obviously, this is a piece of legislation that needs to be revisited. And I think Texas officials recognize that. But that I'm, I'm just giving that as information as to why we don't have the complete story. Hopefully, one day, they will realize the importance of this. There's a lot of questions. I think there's a lot of people that have to answer what happened. But we're going to do our best with the information that we have. Um, I have a news article that actually came from USA Today, and they specifically mentioned that there. I mean, this is a this isn't a huge school. I mean, obviously Uvalde and and um, is not a huge city town within Texas, but there was a, a surveillance cot of police at kind of like a T intersection within the school. Mm. And they were behind two walls, and the suspect obviously was down uh, the tail of that T in one of the rooms. And according to those who either had the video slipped to them, um, USA Today decided to report. And it says, again, USA Today Network, the video shows the surveillance from inside the school. The 18-year-old gunman dressed in all black with a backpack, casually walk into a rear entrance of the school carrying the AR-15 he purchased. AR, not assault rifle. <laughs> for all of our gun enthusiasts. After his birthday, at 11.33 a.m., he pauses briefly at a closed classroom door decorated with the words, Welcome Class, before turning right into the main hall. He continues to walk uninterrupted down the empty hallway, past the bulletin board, and hand sanitizer station mounted on the wall until he reaches room 111. The camera shows him turning to his left and unleashing a barrage of gunfire as he advances toward the room. A boy who apparently was in the bathroom is seen peeking around the corner before police later rescue him. Three minutes after the initial barrage, a group of officers from the Uvalde Police Department and the Uvalde School District moved from two ends of the hall to converge on rooms 111 and 112, where the gunman was. The video shows them being pushed back by his return fire. For the next hour, the video reveals what experts have called one of the worst police failures in American history. So here's what we have. I would love to see that video, but apparently there were enough officers to advance on the classroom, right? Please tell me how when fire is directed toward, you already know that shots have been fired within the school. Mm -hmm. Now shots have been fired directly at law enforcement advancing on the rooms. How are we not in an active shooter situation? Now, uh, apparently two officers were grazed. There were grazed wounds. That's what has been reported. 
when we first reported on this in, in, in the first episode that we talked about Uvalde, we didn't know exactly what the extent of the injuries were. Mm-hmm. What's being reported now, Gray's injuries. But it pushed the team back. Now, let me ask you, and, and we'll go into the training that we've had and, and what should be done in situations like this. It's okay to pause, right? Because there were shields present, and that, that's what either this news article uh, didn't relay, but within the pictures that are in there. Eventually, they had a couple shields. Yeah. But they advanced with at least one shield, from my understanding, uh, as what is being reported. Gunfire comes out. What happens at that point? What should citizens expect law enforcement to do at that point? What should you as a team expect to do at that point? You have a threat. You have children that are in an emergency situation. What do we do? What, what do the citizens expect us to do? Well, it's, it's clear. Um, and it's, it's all over law enforcement on there's priorities of life. And that expectation is the officers are going to eliminate that threat. Now, yeah, it is it is uh, human nature that when you take fire to take that step back, that mm-hmm. this, that's knee jerk. Okay, we get that. But you should be training or at least thought about what you need to do. So if he's around a corner, you're standing up and you come around that corner, he shoots, you do the knee jerk, jump back, drop to a knee, pop back out. So he's not expecting that you got to you got to do something, though. But to be pushed mm-hmm. back, one gunman pushes back several officers. One 18-year-old gunman just outdid several multiple, officers. Multiple officers on scene. That have just as good or better weapons. Um, and it, like we talked about in the previous episode, they had just received as departments active shooter training. Yes. It's, it's um, yeah, it is, it is 100% something you need to... Every, every officer that either may be listening to this, um, they, they do need to have a very real conversation with themselves that they need to understand that priorities of life, innocence, um, that's above you. And it is expected um, that you go in and deal with that. If you have a family, you need to have a very real conversation with your family that in those circumstances... I'm, I'm required to do that. Yeah, uh, a retail theft, I'm probably not going to put myself in, in the chances of being killed over uh, a candy bar. Nope. Active shooter, 100%, you are expected to go in there. Yeah, and you, our training, it, it, it's just, we draw it home. I mean, it, it is embedded into our head. Stay in the fight. Gray's wounds, for me personally, no, it's different. I, I mean, well, let me finish that thought. Gray's wounds, for me, especially when your adrenaline is high, is not going to be enough for me to stop. It's not. If it does take me down, we have been taught, Matt's going to go in the back. Cam's going to step in front. And you're going to continue advancing on that threat or engaging in that threat. Yep. For the benefit of the individual, the innocents that are in there, the victims that are in there. And at this point, because you know that shots have been fired within the school, you have to act and you have to, that training has to kick in. I don't know what their active shooter training entails, but we talked about it previously that nationally there, there is a standard that's being set for active shooters. Is it not? Mm-hmm. I mean, you went to, you went to one of the trainings, active shooter trainings. 
as a firearm instructor for our department, and you train and you 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 teach officers within our department to respond to these things. Would would it be accurate for our listeners to hear that there is a national standard that is being set? Yes. And I think, and again, I, I can't speak for the training that they received. I just don't understand completely backing up to the T again. If you've advanced and you've gained that ground, please tell me when would be a good time when you're taking rounds and you know where that threat is and you know that there's innocence in that room. I'm trying, I, I'm trying to give them some benefit of the doubt. I just can't, I can't connect it. I don't, I don't understand why they would give up that ground that they had gained in the advancement of room 111 and room 112. Yeah, tactics 101 is, is not going to teach you to lose that ground. Um, you've lost significant loss of wherever that exchange of gunfire happened. If it happened in a doorway, you could have seen part of that room. Now you've lost that entire room. He could be anywhere in there. It's an adjoining room. He could now be in a different room. You had him pinned in one room. Um, there's all sorts of things. Um, there's been some comments about, well, they were waiting for a shield or something like that. Um, I mean, if you're if you're uh, responding to an active shooter, and you should expect this from from the officers, um, that that's that's not an option at that point. You have the tools you have, um, shields for the most part, albeit they can be a benefit, but they're a lot of times more of a hindrance, and they're they kind of build some confidence where it shouldn't be. Um, those don't stop everything. You would imagine they would stop. Right. Um, mostly just handgun rounds. So don't wait for that. If you have an AR-15, which a lot of these officers, because I've seen the images, they had. Well, they had. They were ready yeah. to roll, and they had plate carriers, um, yes. which also stopped more than that shield. Yes. They should be up there in that fight. And um, again, they just went through training. They just went through training. I can't imagine that whatever training they received taught them what went down at that point. I, I and Again, a, I'm trying to give them b the benefit of the doubt. Is it's just not connecting in my head. Well, on a side note, um, you know, when when I was in, this is where I'm talking about. People need to have very real conversations with themselves. It's one thing. Everyone sits here. Um, they read the article and they're like, if "That was me. I'd be in there, guns blazing, so on and so forth." Talk is cheap, man. Yeah, people have need to have very real conversation. I was in the Marines, right? And right before we deployed to Afghanistan the first time, our first sergeant said, hey, I just got the intel where we're going. It's a very real spot. All of you aren't coming back. And then all of a sudden, there were some Marines who were like, oh, man, how do I, how do I get out? Like this, I didn't really think this through, like yeah. so on and so forth, right? That's in law enforcement. I mean, we deal with it day in, day out, which is normal calls where all of a sudden there's a 250-pound intoxicated male who says, yeah, I'm not going to jail. Mm-hmm. And you'll see officers, brand new officers, like, ooh, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't expect someone to do that. I didn't sign up for this. So now you take that and you ramp it up 7,000%, and right. you've got an active shooter. Officers need to have very real conversations with themselves if they can do that. If they can't, Get it's out. like I read in that one Texas breakdown on their protocol for this stuff. This isn't the profession for you. Absolutely not. And, and we hit upon that in the first round of talking about Uvalde. Not saying that's what these officers were going through. I don't, I don't know. Like we said, we don't know I, all the details. I think we had a mix, and, and I think it would be accurate nationwide, and, and no matter where you go, 
because we are talking about this, we, I, I believe that you can find that mentality in pretty much any department. I think you can find those individuals that just haven't experienced the gnarly yet, you know, and when they do experience it, they shrink a little bit and you have to have those real discussions. Am I going to allow myself to shrink again in the future? Because if I am, you have to have that real discussion. And I'm going to get someone hurt or yourself, innocence, a fellow officer. You're, you, you have to have that conversation. And I agree with you 100%. But I think, I think we had a mix in this situation. Mm. I think we had individuals that wanted to go in immediately. And they were called off due to uh, incident command and the things that were coming out at that point. I think that there were individuals that wanted nothing but perimeter responsibility. I think you had individuals that were injured and maybe could have gone back into the fight, but maybe decided to go out and be addressed. I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I think the point that I bring up those ideas is I'm, I'm pretty sure we were all over the spectrum with the type of, of mentality that we had. Let me jump into another article here, and we'll discuss... Uh, a breakdown of some of the things that were not accurate. Now, this came from Forbes. I was talking about USA Today and, and the surveillance video, and I mentioned the Texas law, that loophole law that's allowing the body cam and surveillance and things like that uh, not to be addressed and not to be released. Unfortunately, I'm on the side of the general public with this one. I think that this information should come out. Yep. I think that this is one of those situations within law enforcement, transparency is absolutely needed. You cannot sweep this underneath the, uh, a rug. This needs to be addressed. There's too many questions. Going, um, in, going into your, yeah. the whole, the loophole this falls under, that was to protect the accused, um, the accused, right? So this circumstance is much different than what that was written up for. That could be absolutely. for like a, ooh, they could have done it. They couldn't not have they have that right to defend yeah. themselves are we going to drag their name through the dirt yeah. for their family and everyone when we don't know that's not this and this not only is that not this they're not in my opinion this is me just thinking they're not releasing it because that city doesn't want to oh, be held man. liable for what school, it's going to show school district city yeah uh uvalde police department the uvalde uh, school district police department it's more to protect the, the government than or the those involved rather than the, the accused. And there's actually more. And, and Forbes kind of outlines this. And I was surprised because this is information um, that I had not considered, but I had not read in other articles. So Forbes breaks, breaks this down. And, and basically, the article says, Uvalde shooting, here's everything that turned out to not be true. So I'm going to hit upon those points. Key facts. Quote, unquote, brave resource officer, Texas Department of Public Safety Regional Director Victor Escalon retracted an initial claim. Texas DPS Director Stephen McCraw made that a, quote, unquote, a brave resource officer confronted the government outside of Robb Elementary School, saying at a press conference uh, last week. And let me give a little clarification. This came out uh, June 4th, 2022, this specific article. So when it says last week, keep that in mind, that the report was not accurate and that the shooter, Salvador uh, Ramos, walked into the school unobstructed. Um, 
McCraw further clarified last week that the officer was not on campus. And so we're going to go through a lot of things. And, and remember last episode when we were talking about this, I mentioned, I think we live in a time where departments, cities, states feel like they have to get information to the public immediately because of public outcry. Personally, I think, the look, I understand that we owe the public transparency, but what's the purpose of rushing information when it's not accurate? That's a pretty key detail of information. For you to say that a brave resource officer confronted him outside of the school, you're basically saying that we were on top of it immediately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, but wait, there wasn't even a resource officer at the school that day. That's pretty, I mean... And when it comes to transparency, now you just shot a hole in your boat, right? Because that's 100% false. So what are you telling us that's true? So when it comes to that, transparency-wise, it's better to get the facts. Yeah. And here's another unfortunate fact. Officials have not addressed why the school resource officer was not at the school at the time of the shooting, according to Forbes. Quote-unquote, here's another one, did contain him. McCraw initially said the first responding officers on the scene did engage immediately, that's a quote, with Ramos, and did contain him in a conjoined set of classrooms, though he later said the first three officers entered the school minutes after Ramos, but he had already locked himself inside of the classroom and fired toward the officers from inside the classroom, causing graze wounds to two of the officers. But my understanding with the surveillance, and again, it's hard for me to confirm what I just reported to everybody off of of USA Today and and even as we're going through force because we don't have the surveillance. This is a part of me and my call to Texas saying, stop this. You owe it to the public to release the surveillance. You owe it to the public to release the body cams. We need a a lot more transparency when it comes to this. Um, Without hesitation, again, that's a quote. Texas DPS Lieutenant Chris Oliveras, I hope I didn't slaughter that, made a similar claim in an interview on the Today Show saying officers responded within a moment's notice. By giving that type of comment and using adjectives like that, it's, it's trying to let the public know, look, our officers were there. We were on top of it. Um... And, and it's almost like a story is being built. Mm-hmm. We should not, I, within law enforcement, we can't do this. We, we should not be giving details like this unless we know that it's concrete. We cannot be giving news releases and providing details if we know it's not concrete and accurate and truth. It's, to me, it's very irresponsible, and it's, it's going to breed distrust as, as this situation has. I mean, right. this is this has I'm covering for our liability purposes written all over it. The prop door, remember the prop door, we talked about in the first uh, episode where the teacher apparently went out, um, forgot his cell phone or her cell phone, and propped the door open and was le- accidentally left open. Yeah. Well, on Tuesday, uh, and again, keep in mind of when this Forbes came out early June. Texas officials reportedly reversed an earlier claim that a teacher had propped open a door five minutes before Ramos entered the school and instead said the teacher had closed the door prior to the shooting, but the door did not lock as it should have. What's accurate? 
that the door was propped or that the door didn't lock as it should? What do you think the public's going to think? Yeah. I, I, I think it was propped. propped. Yeah. yeah. So until you prove otherwise, because there's been such misinformation on this entire situation, even, even from a law enforcement standpoint, I'm looking at it and being like, come on, which one was it? And be transparent with it, right? Um, a lawyer for the teacher, Don Flannery, told the San Antonio Express News his client had propped the door open, his client so now we, we have civil action against a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And if there's no surveillance of what said teacher did or didn't do, you may have gone into an uh-oh moment. See where my mind's going? What well, do you think the general public is doing? You know what I mean? And what's interesting is say that that teacher did go out, come back in, close the door properly like they were supposed to, and the locking mechanism malfunctioned and didn't lock right because of the statement they provided right that teacher's always going to have a cross there there's going to be yes. people out there who no matter what other information comes out short of a video showing them close it all the way is going to think absolutely that teacher did something absolutely wrong. and this is the problem with knee-jerk information i mean it, it, this i it, i have frustration because this has been pushed on law enforcement to release, 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 now, 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 now. Why are you guys holding this back? But just like to your point, we can't afford to do that. We can't have this information go out and and have people, and have it be incorrect. And then the general public immediately thinks, well, now they're giving new statements because they're just trying to cover for the law enforcement officers or for the teacher, for the egregious mistake that they made. Mm. And, and, the loss of life that it resulted in, whatever the case may be. But again, we can't have this happen. So please, uh, for anyone that's listening, that's not within law enforcement, even with law enforcement, please understand, wait until all the information comes out. Cam, you and I were on very high profile investigations when we were in investigations. And many of the cases that you worked ended up in the media. Many of the cases that I worked ended up in the media. And we would have our public relations officer reach out to us often, right? Yeah, even it, admin or elected officials of the city yes, at times. would reach out to us and say, what's the information? What can be released? And the majority of the time, I mean, you know me with media anyway, I was like, uh, nothing. And I, I don't mean to be uh, just a punk about that to anybody that's a citizen wanting to know about cases like this, it's my case is still under investigation. You have to be very, very careful. Please, if you're... Law enforcement officers should already understand this. But for people who don't, cases are very, very sensitive. And if you give the wrong information, it's going to piss people off. And it's going to get minds racing. It's going to have people think that in this type of situation, oh, they're just covering for the cops again. This is, this is uh, what we've always known. It's such a dirty business. These are dirty cops. They didn't do their job. But that's the problem. And you can see that a teacher was like, uh-oh, 
Yeah, I mean, in something like this, obviously, media is going to expect something. But remember the words, it's an active investigation. That should be, like, the first thing someone says. And you release only the obvious stuff. Like, yeah, there what there appears to be a, a single shooter. Yes. Um, and they're deceased. Yes. It's Did I say this already? It's an active investigation. Yes. There was an active shooter in this Uvalde Elementary School. Multiple agencies involved. Yes. There's a lot of moving parts. It's still... I, I may not have mentioned this, an active investigation. Go with that. Please. It I works. Mean, from someone that had to release that to our public relations officer, administration, and even city officials on multiple occasions, please understand that law enforcement is not saying it's an active. People become so frustrated. There's no patience. I, I think it's almost like a knee-jerk uh, CSI type episode where they think that it needs to be resolved and answers need to be given from top to bottom disposition, everything within an hour. Yeah. It's like the cell phone. Everything is at your fingertips. So everyone expects all the information immediately right away. Immediately active investigation is something that you should get used to, but kind of hold dear because you need to wait until all information is out. You need to wait until body cams are released you need to wait until surveillance is released. You need to wait until all evidence has been collected and analyzed, processed. Most, it's, it's deep. Most officers that are involved in a shooting are not going to give information. They're not going to get a detailed inter- interview right away anyways. Yeah. They're going to give the – There's most states have required like four different questions they need to answer just to make sure there's not a risk to public. Right. But in a right. critical incident, the, the officer's not interviewed right away. Um, right. So that alone is a couple days. Why are you trying to release information before that even happens? Exactly. So. Exactly. Moving on. So there was a five minutes outside. So Escalon said last week, and again, since we've been away from it and people who aren't keeping up, this was in early June, this, this uh, news article that the gunman was outside of the school for about 12 minutes before walking inside and locking himself inside a classroom. But McCraw later updated the timeline, indicating that the shooter was inside the school within five minutes of crashing his pickup truck into a ditch outside. So again, even down to the little nitty-gritty, 12 minutes to five minutes, especially in a very uh, dynamic and ever-evolving situation, Seven minutes is, is an eternity. I mean, you just doubled the time. You have to be accurate with all information that you release. Ramos in custody. Uvalde police initially claimed that Ramos was in police custody, but the department later clarified that a U.S. Border Patrol tactical team killed him after breaching the classroom he had barricaded himself in. Here's what we don't know. Officials still have not answered why the incident commander, Uvalde School Police Chief Pete Arredondo, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier. I don't know what PL, PR specialist he's been talking to, but they have decided to go ghost. He has barely given much information. There was a little, it's probably um, let us know what you're going to be asking. And, and the whole radio situation, I thought it was going to slow me down. He's given certain tidbits of information here and there. But in terms of, of giving a complete breakdown as to what he personally did and what information was given to him and why he made the decisions... We're all still waiting. So again, going back to it, Uvalde School Police Chief Pete Arredondo did not consider the school an active shooter situation, even as children and teachers from inside called 911 
for nearly 40 minutes after police arrived. I'm going to play a, a uh, soundbite that came from Good Morning America. Um, I'll just give a, a little warning to our viewers. This is a 911 call. It's not going to have the little girl that called in, but this is a 911 call from one of the students inside the classroom with the shooter, and this was information that law enforcement was listening to. Texas law enforcement detailing those chilling calls from the children. She identified herself and whispered she's in room 112. At 12.10, she called back in room 12, advised there are multiple dead. Again at 12.16, she's called back and said there was eight to nine students alive. Now please understand this was uh, dispatch information going out to officers, right? And and with radios. Sorry, too soon. With with radio. Please and again, this is why he needs to talk. I mean, I I have no idea what he did. Do. Did did he did he advance with those officers initially? Was he a part of that stick team that was in the hallway that advanced and got pushed back because two officers were were shot at and grazed and they went back to the T. And maybe he left the school, went back and got his radios. I, I, there's too many unanswered for this guy not to come out and say, here's what happened. And here's the information that I have. Mm. This was dispatch information, two officers on scene. And 30 minutes after Ramos walked inside, I mean, you're talking right around 12.03 p.m., there were 19 officers in the hallway of the school by this point. 19. Going back to our response, our responsibility, our oath, and especially for the innocence that was in that classroom. Children. If I can tell you without hesitancy, because I worked alongside him, and we are so close. We neighbored each other on so many calls. We were partners in investigations. I know for a fact that if Cam and I were on scene and that came over the radio, Cam and I are going in. We're pushing. Mm -hmm. We probably would have kept pushing if we weren't the ones that got grazed. We would have been the ones stepping forward. We've had that training. I can say that with confidence because I've been in hairy situations with Cam. We both have been trained in SWAT. He's still currently on SWAT. I, I have mentioned in the past that I'm a, I'm a has-been. But I know through our training, we would have pushed. We have that responsibility. And these kids deserve that. And they didn't get it. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, and, and on that note, we did... Uh, <clears throat> so I don't know how many people know this, but Uvalde, not a very big city, probably a pretty small agency, um, and that's not uncommon. In fact, um, almost half of local police departments in the nation have fewer than 10 officers. Nine in 10, so nine in every 10 
police departments Very small has less agencies. than 50. So our agency is considered fairly large then. Um, yeah. Given, given statistics and stuff like that. And where I'm going with this is if you're a smaller agency, you should be okay with asking larger agencies to help you through some of these trainings. Active shooter training is a, is a ton of work. Um, and there's a lot of moving parts and all that stuff. Um, our active shooter training and part of it is, you know, an officer goes down. What do you do? How do you step over them? What are, you know, and we have tons of different scenarios we do as far as that goes. Another thing we noticed is a lot of times you might have those higher ranking officers that are on scene who might not be They might be very good at running a police department, Mm -hmm. but maybe not the best tactically. I can't tell you how many times that I would see operators stepping up, even though there's a sergeant, a lieutenant, a captain there and saying, hey, cap, step aside. I got this. And they'll take team lead. And we've been encouraged to do that within our department. My voice goes out to all agencies and everybody that's listening. If your department doesn't do that, you need to start having some serious conversations with your administration. And that's why I'm saying smaller agencies, uh, you know, when it comes to active shooter training, if you're, if you're a smaller agency here um, that's listening, um, reach out to some of your bigger agencies. See if you can either piggyback on their active shooter or at least get their, their training regiment so you can employ it on your, on your own agency. Um, but I know how it can be if, if it's a small agency and you're just trying to come up with something the best you can off of like YouTube videos you saw. That's much different than putting together an actual team and then bringing medical in after to help pull out victims and having screening, screaming people, all sorts of stuff, running distraction or ambush drills. Because in this Uvalde thing, if, if he's got the hallway um, on lockdown, you go break and rake a window on the outside as a distraction, you can get that team up there. There's things you can do, right? but you got to trade them. You're, it's, you're not going to come right. up with it in that situation. You're already not functioning at a hundred percent of your brain capacity because adrenaline's flowing so much. We know that, you know, being on SWAT rarely ever does a, a planned operation go exactly as planned, but that's where your training kicks in. And it's not the time to show up to an active shooter and start ad-libbing on everything. Like as in, you didn't have a plan. You didn't have a mental plan. You didn't have training within your department. Uh, you didn't You didn't have already set in your mind that if you were one of the responding officers and you had the most important information, you need to realize that as you're radioing and giving that information, that there's going to be incident command that is not there with your eyes. And you're going to have to step up at some point and not listen to the dude that apparently is giving the, hey, and again, I, I hate to have my mind go to this. I don't want to jump to conclusions. But somehow, some way, this chief of police came to the conclusion that this was now a quote-unquote barricaded situation and not an active shooter. No clue how he got to that. And if he was told that from the boots on the ground and the people that were right there, that's the fault of the officers relaying the information. Because as the officers who were there, the eyes, we have eyes on the room. You, we've already been engaged by the suspect. That is still active, very active. Very active. We went over the timeline before where there are still shots fired after he said um, this is a barricade. So for those of you who don't know, that 
means negotiations are off. If that's the route that yes, he thought it was going, as soon as shots are fired, that's done. But then this is also not a valid situation for that because you've got like that 911 call we just listened to where dispatch is putting out there that a little girl's calling in little three girl times. saying there's three victims times. all around her and stuff. Priorities of life, we got to get to those people. He's already shown he's going to murder people regardless. We're going in. And listen, if you re-listen to that call, dispatch is given information on the third call from this student on the inside of the classroom. The third call, eight to nine alive. You don't have any other information. You need to realize that at that point, like you've already messed up because you didn't keep advancing. But the fact that now that information is being told, how is it that you do not act? Do law enforcement officers know whether he has knives and he's stabbing students? Are they only listening for gunshots? This is why we tell you there are so many things that officers have to consider and have to know. Just because they don't hear gunshots anymore doesn't mean that this individual is not armed with other deadly weapons and isn't continuing his killing. It is an active situation. They have to act on that. Mm. And that's unfortunate that it didn't go down. Um, here are some things. I don't, I don't want it to be all doom and gloom, but we promised that we would keep you guys updated. And for those that are following the situation, please know that I think that responding officers and agencies did some good things as well. Uh, there's more and more video, cell phone videos that are coming out from people that were watching uh, this unfold and there were officers breaking out windows and pulling children out and having them run. So for the officers that were doing that and saving the lives of students within uh, the school, absolutely, you have to have, everybody can't be a part of the entry team. Everybody can't be a part of the immediate action team. You have to have other responsibilities around. And from the videos that I saw, there were many, many officers or uh, federal agents who were on scene that were doing everything that they could to save as many children and as many lives as possible. So kudos on that. As mentioned, when we were first talking about Uvalde, I think the initial response in officers going into the school to even engaging with the suspect, um, regardless of whether we have information as to how long it took them to get in or whatever the case may be, there was some valor there, and, and they definitely showed that they were willing to go in and, and engage with the suspect, at least for a little bit. That portion is good. There were individuals that were relaying information. I, I don't know who had the correct information and who didn't. I, again, calling upon Texas to release the body cams and everything else uh, from uh, radio dispatch logs as to what information was going over the radio, what intel they had. These are the types of things that the public deserves and for politicians and attorneys and everybody to kind of sweep this underneath the rug. There are still far too many questions that need to be answered. And it's just unfortunate that we don't have that. I would like to give kudos in a lot of different areas to a lot of different officers and, and federal, federal agents that were on scene. The federal agents that decided to go in, even against orders saying stay out because of the barricaded situation, they made the right move, went in, eliminated the threat, no more killing at that point. I give kudos to that. But in order for us to be transparent, we have to pick these situations apart for learning experience, for the future, and for anybody that's in law enforcement listening to this. You agree, Cam? I do. And I would say... 
if anyone has questions about the proper response, I know Cam and I have kind of broken down a lot of our, this is what we would do in this type of situation. These things, please understand, are not easy. They're very dynamic, and there's a lot of um, noise, so to speak, that's happening that you have to zero in and have one goal, and that's to go in and eliminate the immediate threat to any innocence. It's about having the conversation with you. Um, Let me kind of give a little bit of a, a background of some of our training just so our listeners understand, uh, we've had them in elementary schools. We've had them in high schools. We uh, recently had our most, uh, our most recent one in a warehouse. Um, these are areas that you're going to commonly see. I mean, we've heard in Colorado, the movie theaters, uh, supermarkets, malls. I mean, we, we've had these active shooter situations nation, nationwide to where our department said, all right, We've trained in this school, we've trained in this school, we've trained in this warehouse, we've trained over here. Uh, sometimes our instructors, Cam is, is one of them, I, we don't always appreciate it when we're going through the training, but we appreciate it afterwards. Sometimes when we go in, the instructors have, have the alarms going off. We have volunteer actors that come in and play innocence, and they're running out at the hallway saying, please help me, please help me, what do I do? There are so many things that are put together within our active shooter training that from an officer standpoint, I appreciate because that training is good. It makes you, it opens your eyes and makes you realize that there are going to be situations where a fire alarm was pulled. And it, it could be because of the loud boom of a shotgun. It could be from an explosive that the suspect or suspects um, uh, set off in any given building. We've also have trainings throughout the years where we had multiple suspects. There were scenarios where it wasn't just one active shooter. It was multiple, kind of like what you would have experienced when all of this copycat started with the Columbine guys. Mm-hmm. There was two of them. So you can't only expect that it's only one guy all the time. And so we try to switch it up and... Since you're one of our instructors, my thanks goes out to you. I know you guys put a, a lot of effort into training our department, and I appreciate that. Have these conversations with your administration. Have these conversations with your instructors, and hopefully everyone's getting the best training possible. Yeah. So I think that's what we're going to end it as. Cameron, unless you have something else you want to talk about, but – Again, I, d- I don't want it to all be doom and gloom. Please understand that we saw a lot of good things, and uh, at least with the information that has come out. But unfortunately, most of the information that I kept reading article after article as to what has been released, it hasn't been very good. So continue to study, continue to educate yourselves, continue to help us clear these corners, and we'll see you next time. If I die, this nigga hurt.